Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the literal body of Christ, Jesus, who came, showed us incredible love, came to save us. We thank you for the body of Christ that is us together and throughout this world. We pray that we will be a true reflection of Jesus. And Father, as we reflect on your word today, may it help us, may it guide us, may it speak to us, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to what you would have for us this day. May we tune in, not so much certainly to my voice, but the, the voice of your spirit. May we hear your word and what you would have for us this day. And may we be responsive to it, to your glory and honor, we would pray. Amen. Amen. Well, over the uh, last few weeks, uh, with a break uh, last Sunday with our guest speaker, John Boychek, we have been looking at this great and inspiring teaching of the letter to the Philippians. Letter to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul while he is in prison for preaching the message of Jesus. And what has been surprising, uh, maybe even astounding, I, I hope inspiring for all of us, is that in the midst of that, Paul is filled with joy. Joy which is why we have called this series Discovering True Joy. It's a theme that flows right through this entire letter. The core teaching is that there is a joy we can experience even when the circumstances of life are very difficult. And that's good news. And that joy, of course, is rooted and flows from a relationship with Jesus and seeing other people come to know Jesus too. And over the last few weeks, uh, Tyler and Johnny and I have been uh, talking about that. Uh, but today as we come to chapter 2 of this wonderful book, our our focus shifts a little as the theme of Philippians shifts a little. And to orient you to what we're about to read, uh, we need to know something that is very fundamental to the Christian life. And that is this, that the Christian life is not just about me and Jesus. It is about we and Jesus. Christian life is not just about me and Jesus. The Christian life is about we and Jesus. And what the teaching of Jesus and the letters of the New Testament make abundantly clear is that when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, what is sometimes referred to as being 
born again or born anew, that we are in that time birthed into the family of God. Not only a connection with God himself, but a connection with a spiritual family. And that is most commonly referred to as the church, but also referred to as the body of Christ, like the song we just listened to. It's referred to as Christian community or a faith community or a congregation or the one I probably enjoy the most, just a spiritual family. And it's why the scriptures and we talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, a spiritual family. And know this, it is much more than a club or some other organization that we, to which we might belong. Now, it's not my purpose this morning to get into all what the church is about and its purposes and all of that. But simply, my goal was to simply give a bit of context for what Paul is now going to uh, teach about in this section of Scripture in chapter 2. When Paul, you see, is writing this letter, he is not primarily writing to individuals, but actually to a church community in Philippi, the church at Philippi. And in this section and some of the sections to come, he is addressing some aspects of their community life together, their relationships together, their spiritual family. And for Paul, this was no secondary concern. How they functioned as a community, how they related to one another in community was actually at the very heart of how they were to live out their faith in Jesus. It was to be a very expression of the reality of their faith in Christ. And he wanted them to be a joyful community. And I trust you want to be, we want to be together, a joyful community. And so that takes us to the first four verses of chapter 2 of Philippians. And it's going to be on the screen there for you. And you can look it up in your Bibles if you have them. Hear God's word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others." Stop there. Now, I would suggest that that's a full menu. <laughs> so, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. And let me suggest that there are four parts to this. The first part, really verse 1, is kind of written as a, as a rhetorical statement. That is, 
the word if is used, but the assumption is that it's absolutely true. And so in this statement, Paul highlights a, a few blessings that come to those who have put their faith in Jesus, who are in a relationship with Jesus. And the four he comments here are encouragement and comfort and fellowship, tenderness and compassion. We're not going to take uh, the time to look at each one of those in specific, but the point is that when they put their faith in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, then that we experience something quite wonderful, the ministry of God's Spirit, because God does something inside of us. And Paul simply highlights a few aspects of that. We experience grace, connection, love, what he describes as encouragement and comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion. You see, when, when people come to Jesus, most people are, are simply overwhelmed with the reality that God loves them, cares for them, is interested in them, that he sees us as precious in his sight and went the whole way to the cross to die for us. And he ministers to us by his spirit. And we experience that. And that's a wonderful thing. And I hope that that has been the case for all of you. Because the Christian life actually flows from this fundamental reality of knowing and experiencing the ministry of the Spirit of Christ in our souls. But the point Paul is making here is that if indeed that is the case, then something needs to follow. And that is the second list. Verse 2, if that is the case, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Uh, again, we could look at each of those in turn. But in general, this, this is simply a call to unity. A deep unity. Uh, the, these words reflect that this is more than just kind of putting up with each other, being friendly, or, or that tepid word, nice. We really don't like that word, nice. See, we're to be much more than nice to each other. We're actually to walk in unity. And Paul says if, if they were to do this, this would give him great joy. But I think he's also saying that this, by this, they will experience joyful community. Now, if you were here uh, last Sunday, then you know that uh, John Boyacek spoke very clearly and frankly about this in his message. I listened to it uh, online and was uh, 
uh, moved deeply by that. And he spoke particularly regarding the challenge in the life of the church, discerning the difference between preferences and convictions. Saying that in convictions, they need to be supreme and there needs to be a unity and a passion about those things that matter. And that's what Paul is getting at here. For you see, and you know this well, the challenging reality is that every church, every church, going all the way back to the New Testament, have had to work at living in unity. We need to acknowledge, don't we, that it's easy to divide. It's easy to not only disagree, but be disagreeable. It takes commitment and effort to be in unity with other people that from a human perspective, we may have a lot of differences with. But by the Spirit of God at work in our midst, we can walk in unity. And I hope, I hope as you reflect on the scriptures, what motivates you to be committed to this is how important it is in the scriptures. It comes up over and over over and over again, not only because it's an issue that we all struggle with and every church struggles with, but because it's so important. The witness of the gospel depends on the church pursuing and walking in unity. And of course, it's damaged, if not even destroyed, by disunity. And so in these verses, Paul kind of now gets in our faces about what must be resisted if indeed unity is to be experienced. So he goes on and says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul cuts to the chase here and names what is far too often the cause of disunity and division and that's personal ambition. I want a name for myself in this. I want to be known as the one who did it or accomplished it or come with, with the idea of it and I want it to go my way, and I want my own ego needs met in the process. Of course, we would never acknowledge it, but so often we all know that sometimes that's what's going on beneath the surface. And what's the remedy for this? Verse 3 continues. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not only looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests 
of others. The only way to unity and joyful community is developing the virtue or character of humility. And here Paul explains specifically what that looks like. Valuing others above yourselves and being interested and concerned about the interests of others. In other words, your world does not revolve around you. Your mind and your heart are outward looking. Your life doesn't center around I, but others. As I was reflecting on this, you know, one of the things that has become so popular in our culture that kind of symbolizes our struggle with this, probably most of you have one of these in your pocket or in your purse, a cell phone, and what do we like to do with these? We take a... We take a selfie. There we are. What's so wonderful about a selfie? You get to be front and center of all your pictures. <laughs> Who thought of this, eh? The selfie. Interesting talk by that wonderful leadership guru, John Maxwell. And he pointed out in a, a talk something that is so revealing. Whenever you look at a group picture and you're in it, who's the person you look at first? Am I right? You don't care how other people look. How do I look? Did I smile right? Did I get my good side? How was my hair? Don't we struggle with self-centeredness? We all struggle with self-centeredness. And we have to battle against it all the time. All the time. So who can help us in this? Who can help us? I, I wonder, don't you, I wonder if there's anyone who has lived that could provide a perfect example of humility, of self-sacrifice, of being other-centered. <laughs> and of course, that's exactly where Paul goes in this text. The second half of our text presents us with not only the challenging and glorious example of Jesus, but then moves into praise and worship. Uh, it has been long thought before we read this text that while Paul writes in these verses is, is actually from or is a, an early hymn or song of praise to Jesus. So today I would like us to read it together. Verse 5 is just an introductory verse and then we move into this beautiful song or poetry of praise to Jesus. Would you read it with me? In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. It's actually regarded by uh, theologians as one of the clearest, concise statements regarding who Jesus is and what he did. It, it, its scope is amazing, taking us from eternity past to the incarnation, earthly life of Jesus and the cross to eternity to come. There are statements in this song that are deeply profound and meaningful and worth digging into. And yet, Paul uses this, this great piece of poetry or song, almost as an illustration or support for his main argument that we've been reflecting on today, that we're to resist self-centeredness and put others before ourselves. And so today, keeping that theme in mind, we're just going to kind of skim uh, the surface of these verses. The song, the song of, of Jesus is divided easily into two parts. Verses 6 to 8, proclaiming Jesus' amazing humility. And then verses 9 to 11, a proclamation of his exaltation and the implications of that. I think in this, particularly in the first part, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul wants us to be so enthralled and captured by Christ and what he did that we so deeply long to be like him in his character that we seek more and more to live that out in our relationships. And so the song describes Jesus' journey. Verse 6, the first part of 7, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That is, the eternal Christ let go of position and privilege, glory for the sake of others, and profoundly made himself 
nothing. A reference most likely to the incarnation. That is, he willingly became an embryo in Mary's womb for the sake of the world. And while Jesus' descent is unsurpassed, a profound truth to consider, I think the emphasis that Paul is giving to us is that humility will always have a descending aspect to it. Humility, if we're going to live out humility with others, it will always have a descending aspect to it. You see, love stoops. Love stoops. Love is willing to surrender position, title, name, reputation for the sake of others. Are you willing to humble yourself for others? What are those things that you might be tempted to hold on to, resist letting go of for the sake of loving others? The song continues, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The marvel of the scriptures is that Jesus became like one of us. What the Gospel of John describes as becoming flesh. And of course, not one of us in high position. Not a king or royalty or ruler or president, but a servant. Jesus came from the glories of heaven to serve. And for me, the image that immediately flashes in my mind when I read this is Jesus washing his disciples' feet, taking up the towel and basin, kneeling before them, washing their dirty feet. And in that passage, Jesus also said, I've given you an example that you should follow in it. But even that, of course, was not far enough. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus pays the ultimate price by dying on a cruel Roman cross. Humility, serving others, will cost us. Love costs us. You can be sure that if you are called to follow Jesus and love this world, and we are, it will cost us. But we do so knowing that our Lord paid the ultimate cost, paid the ultimate price. Now, of course, one of the challenges of this passage is that the example of Jesus that is set before us is so beyond us, isn't it? The extent of his 
self-surrender and humility for the sake of others is actually incomparable. But maybe, just maybe, that was the point. That Paul, in setting up this great contrast to sometimes our own petty, self-centered, selfish ambitions, pursuit of ego, small conflicts and disagreements that take hold, setting that in contrast to this glorious, inspiring humility and sacrifice of Jesus puts them in the right context so that we can let go of pride and follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe when disunity or conflicts or divisions are developing, that is the very time we need to take out this song of Jesus, read it again, say, am I following Jesus? Or am I simply pursuing my own ego and self-centeredness? At the same time, we must remember that Jesus is not merely an example. He is the one to whom we will all one day see face to face and bow down worship, for he is the living Lord. Here again the final words of this great song. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship. And know this, at one day everyone will come to know who he truly is. Well, we have covered a lot today in these 11 verses that are so jam-packed. But what I hope you will consider deeply and reflect on more is this. Jesus came not only to save us, and he did wonderfully and gloriously, but he put us in community that we might relate to one another in such a way that Jesus is revealed here and now. That's what the church is about. And this, my friends, is joyful community. Not so much a community that is having fun all the time, although I think in joyful community there will be plenty of laughter. But you see, a community that so cares 
that so serves one another, that is so marked by unity and humility that others simply long to be a part of it. Richview, I believe that you are well on your way, but we need to continue to pursue this together. And if we do, if we do, if we pursue unity and humility together, there is no telling what God may do in our midst. Amen? Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you for your word. These incredibly inspired and yet challenging verses of scripture. For we all struggle with self-centeredness. Father, you sent Jesus to die for us. You sent Jesus to come into this broken and fractured world to bring healing, to bring forgiveness, to restore what has been lost. And you created the church that we might be a reflection of Jesus' own love and grace and mercy and sacrifice and servanthood. What a calling this is for us. So Father, help us. Help us to not get tripped up by small matters. Help us to let go of those things, to resolve those things that may divide, that may be breaking fellowship. Help us to walk in such humility towards each other that divisions and difficulties get resolved easily because we carry around such an honoring and respect and valuing of each other. Father, help us, help us to be honest about our tendency towards self-centeredness. Help us to, to face up to sometimes our pride, that we can confess it, that we can yield it, that we can let it go, that the body of Christ might truly be beautiful in this community and around the world. For Christ's sake we would pray.